welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. I'm Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And today we're taking a look at AFI's Top 100, number 79, The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. It's a very romantic, idealized version of the mythical American West, and it's all just really about chivalry and honor and codes. And I'm right, right, Ethan? We watched the same movie? I mean... Yes. There's also a lot of breasts and a lot of explosions and gunfights. There are a lot of breasts in that film. There were a lot of breasts. And I mean, for 1969, this was a lot of breasts. Well, to be fair, Sam Peckinpah did actually hire a bunch of prostitutes to play a bunch of those roles. What? Yeah, those are real prostitutes. Oh my God. He wanted to be able to say that the film company had paid for prostitutes. What the fuck? So, That's crazy. I don't think of a better spot than this to go right into a plot synopsis. Oh, God. Okay. The Wild Bunch is the story of Pike Bishop and his group of outlaws, who at the start of the film attempt one last job. As they try to rob the bank that will fund Pike's retirement from crime, they're ambushed by Deke Thornton, Pike's old partner who is now forcibly employed by the railroad company, and his band of bounty hunters. Only Pike, Dutch, the Gorch brothers, and Angel survive the bloody shootout, and they soon discover that their gold has been swapped out with metal washers. On the run from Deke, they meet up with old partner Freddie Sykes and make their way down into Mexico. Once across the border, they stay at Angel's village, where he learns that a man named General Mapachi has murdered his father and generally terrorizes the village. When the group meets up with Mapachi's men, Angel sees his former lover, who taunts him and returns to the general. Angel shoots her dead, and to defuse the situation, Pike and his gang offer to work for Mapachi. Mapachi sends them to steal guns from the U.S. Army in exchange for a large amount of gold. They successfully rob the train containing the guns, but Angel makes a plan with the men to steal one crate of guns and ammo to give to the revolutionaries fighting Mapache. Deke, still hot on their trail, attempts to foil the robbery but fails. The outlaw gang devises a way to ensure that Mapache does not double-cross them, and they successfully trade the guns for the gold. However, Angel's former lover's mother snitches on his theft, and Mapache captures and tortures him. Deke continues to follow the gang and wounds Sykes. The outlaws return to Mapachi's town where they celebrate with booze and prostitutes, but the next day, Pike and his men demand Angel's return. Mapachi cuts his throat in front of the men, prompting them to kill him and his officers. A spectacular firefight ensues involving Mapachi's army and his new machine gun. Pike and his outlaws are killed. Deke and his men arrive shortly after, and they take the bodies for the bounty. Deke remains behind. Sykes meets him and implies that the men with the bodies were killed and invites him to join him and the Mexican revolutionaries. The film ends with Deke deciding to join Sykes. That's pretty succinct. Pancho Villa is with the revolutionaries at this point, right? Yeah. And okay. I think that, and they say Pancho Villa several times throughout. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy because to be honest, this film was long, not really in time so much. We just watched Spartacus a couple weeks ago and that was an hour longer than this. This was two two and a half hours but the way that scenes kept cutting and the way they lingered on some things and just kind of like blew past others it was oftentimes hard to follow for me 
Oh my god, man! I had no fucking clue what was going on in this movie. Yeah, I, I spent this entire thing being like, I everybody looks the same. They all sound the same. They all it's just a bunch of shootouts. It I mean the, the that the plot is very sparse. I mean to even write that much was a, a strain. Well, here's part of the difficulty, right? Is that we've got the Wild Bunch headed up by Pike Bishop. We've right. got the Bandit Mercenaries with Deke Thornton. Right. Then we've got the U.S. Army. Yes. We've got the Mexican army, and yes. then we've got the Mexican revolutionaries. Yes, and at the very beginning, the Wild Bunch is dressed up as American soldiers. As American soldiers to add to more confusion. Yes, and it is. It's 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 strangely cut, and so there's all these jumps and weird flashbacks where people. I, even in the flashbacks, I was like, "Who are who are these people?" We were sitting there watching it. I watched it the first like I don't know thirty five minutes with my girlfriend and her brother, and her brother's like, "Is that who is that? Is that the main character?" And I was like, "No, I think he's the he's the mayor, I think." And then I mean, it took, we were debating whether who who is this movie about for the first like thirty minutes, and then it still took another like thirty minutes after that for me to be like. I get what's going on here. Well, that's a really good point. It's, there is a difficulty with me watching this film. And, and who is this film about? I was trying to figure out who the titular Wild Bunch was. And you really don't get any indication until most of the way through the film when Pike Bishop actually says, I said I would lead you bunch and we're going to stick together, right? So it's like, oh, they're the Wild Bunch. But for right. most of it, I was thinking Deke Thornton because even though we're not introduced to him first, I was thinking we were seeing the villains first in the U.S. Army. Right. These ragtag guys up top on the on the hill, like, taking out these outlaws. That I thought they were the heroes. And so for a good hour and a half of the film, I thought Deke Thornton was supposed to be the hero. And, he, again, he's the last one surviving of that. Right. right. You know, Freddie Sykes is still alive. But it's all kind of centered on Deke. And Deke was the one wronged by Bishop, not the other round. And even the Bishop wronging him was unclear to me. Because is it is it that Bishop double crossed him, or did Bishop just not understand? Like, did they just get they just got screwed over, and he so left? So my him? indication of it was not that it wasn't that Pike left him because Pike did leave him. It was that Pike was so sure that they were safe, and that okay. was the whole thing about yeah. Pike talking to Dutch, saying like, "I hope we, I hope to God we learned something here," because right. it looked like Pike in the past was not one to you know, take criticism or evaluate past judgments, right? Yeah. Let's get into some themes of this film because we've kind of tangled with the plot a little bit. And I think you're right. A lot of this is not super relevant to the experience of the film plot-wise. I mean, there's a lot of gunfights and that's really, I think, what it's going after. Yeah, the centerpiece of this film are these ridiculous, violent gun. I mean, it opens with an insane gunfight where... The crowd gets all shot up. Oh, that's really confusing, too, because you're trying to pick a hero at this point. Right. And they're using, like, bystanders as shields or people getting shot on both sides. There's a bunch of civilians dying, like the temperance units walking by. And right. they all get shot to pieces. And you're like, wait, who are the good guys here? Because everyone's dying and no one's, like, batting an eye. Right. Everyone's getting shot. And, like, the is it is, are they – I was like, are these people really the army or are they outlaws? Why is the army robbing a bank? Why are bandits? I thought they hunters? were like a rogue contingent of the army. Right, then... I thought maybe too. <laughs> 
And, yeah, and there's a lot of, like, drunken revelry that I guess we're supposed to enjoy. So, yeah, let's talk about themes. Uh, digging out of here, retirement and the end of, of eras, right, is a is looming over this whole thing. These are guys that want to... I mean, they're trying to get, or at least ostensibly, they're trying to get out of the business of crime. And they're all old men. They're all, like, old white dudes that are, you know, not quite with it anymore well angel is mexican but yeah, well yeah predominantly but an, and angels yeah and he's young yeah real. so they're old and they're looking for that one last score right they even say yeah. something along those lines and it's like wow i don't know if they invented this trope but it's certainly propagating it right it's certainly perpetuating this idea yes it's total i mean this film is i mean you might as well have called it one last score and they are aging out of this and they say i just want to i think pike says to dutch i want to you know, make one last score to get one last take and then step back. And Dutch is like, step back to a what? And Pike yeah. has no answer for him. So the idea of yeah. retirement, like you said, ostensibly, because they don't really have anything set up after this, right? They're going to yeah. back away to what exactly? They're going right. to do some more crime. Like you just know, like they're not going to get out of it. They can't get out of it. He's been doing his entire life. Yeah. And it's also at a point where it's, it's set at a point where the, the like Western frontier, outlaw life is not quite sustainable anymore i mean it's it's like 1912 or something it's 1913 the film takes place 1913 so we're just about to have world war one right yeah and that is as we think about it today the first modern war right you can talk about the crimean war as something of a modern war but people tend to agree you know 1914 first modern war and that really makes the world globalized in sort of a horrific way. Yeah. It literally brings everyone together in absolutely the wrong way. And so, I mean, there's definitely this sense that these guys aren't, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of Westerns and, and, you know, you have your standard Western technology like trains and, you know, horses and rifles. But all of the, all the guns in this film seem a little almost a little too modern to be really Western, you know, like from a Western movie. And there's that car that shows up. Well, I think the thing that really sets people off, maybe this was something you were dealing with, is that you don't see too many revolvers. You've seen a lot of Colt Mm -hmm. M1911s because I think the Wild Bunch had stolen those from the U.S. Army. And they were around then, but I read something that the actual shooting parts for these guns uh, don't fire blanks well. And so they were using... A near identical nine millimeter instead of the 45 caliber but be that as it may they would have had colt 1911s at that point right the name of yeah. flying 1911 right right well and, and not revolvers right i mean sure no, they're semi-automatics yeah so there's all this sort of i think there's all these sort of subtle images that remind you that you know you can't just ride around on horses and be a cowboy yeah, the in West is over. Yeah. They have a freaking machine gun. Although, yeah, it's pointed out that that gun wasn't around until 1917. Oh, really? So <laughs> it's a, it's a factual inaccuracy, but it's actually important, I think, thematically speaking, because it really shows that Peck and Paw is trying to say the West is over, and things yeah. like this change it irrevocably. Right? You don't get to have shootouts at the OK Corral with right. a machine gun anymore right nope. this is a this is a, a war starter and ender right you don't have the same kind of 
desperado banditry mercenary stuff when you've got machine guns right and i and i mean i think the, the car is another really good image of this because you can't i mean you're not robbing trains with cars you know you need your you need horses right and so when you start to shift to cars though your horses all become obsolete just just like the guns right you have semi-automatic and automatic guns and you can't just have pew 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 you know in the little one street mexican town shootout right you're you're you've got you've got to massacre people and the other thing you mentioned about the horses is that we actually see a scene in which the wild bunch are stealing the guns from the u.s army that deke thornton's mercenaries cannot catch up to them so even now locomotion mm. is out outpacing the horse in a lot of ways yeah. and so they didn't even really stand a chance to catch him in that sense yeah and and i wonder too and you know i'm I don't want to say this with too much certainty because I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that this, in 1969, we're coming to the end of the, or at least the beginning of the end of the Western craze. Because you think of, like, all these Westerns from the, you know, the 50s and, and early 60s, right? Um, what's his name? The big, uh, John Wayne and all that sort of stuff. I, I have a feeling that this is coming to the end of the popularity for these films as well. At least I would like that. It would be nice and neat. Yeah, my... <laughs> so let me actually bring this up. And I think I'll also wrap my thesis into this as well. So you're right. This does kind of signal the end of that idealized mythological West that I was kind of joking about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And the very man you mentioned, John Wayne, actually really disliked this film because it destroyed the myth of the West. Mm-hmm. And he had a vested interest in that myth of the West, obviously, right? Because he was the protagonist yeah. all these chivalrous western yeah he's he's not, he's not a fan i remember reading that somewhere that he was not a fan of all of these uh anti-hero cowboys that start to show up i mean the iconic one of course is uh, clint eastwood's man with no name right i think that might be somewhere in between these right between john wayne and and the uh, you know the wild bunch type yeah. because the man with no name is well beside being the first movie being a complete ripoff of yojimbo He's more of an anti-hero yes. type situation, and he does have like a heart of gold. So it is like I think it's steadfastly between these two ideas, yeah. John Wayne and Wild Bunch. Yeah, because these guys, aside from their code of honor, the no man left behind sort of thing, they're pretty abhorrent dudes. I mean, they just shoot the shit out of everybody, and they just get drunk and bang prostitutes. Yeah. So let me say about this. So my thesis is just that there is no idealized west right this film's entire purpose is to tear down the idea that these desperados are bandits with hearts of gold they're not modern day robin hoods right they are bad people they've been to prison or they're trying to stay out of prison the debauchery the so many scenes of debauchery alcohol women gunfighting murder all of these things are lingered on to such an extreme that i would i could not figure out why it was there and i really think it's because it's trying to show us that this is the reality of things. And you had mentioned that they still have like the no man left behind thing. They really still don't have that until Pike is put into a last moment because they're up on the hill as Freddie Sykes is running back with the horses and Deke Thornton's men hit him in the leg and they're like, well, we better get going. They're going to take some time to pick over Freddie Sykes so we can go head out and make our escape. So it's like, whoa, completely leaving that guy off. And then They've also left Angel behind at this time, too. And so Pike Bishop, even though he's been saying, hey, all we have is each other, we have to stick together, 
he hasn't meant it until that last moment when he was like, well, shit, right. I, I guess we better go back and try to save Angel. And, of course, the massacre ensues after that. Well, and they're being haunted by Pike's earlier failure at this whole thing because he basically leaves Deke behind. He just, like, runs when, you know, Deke gets shot and caught by the, I don't know, the railroad marshals or whatever, and he just leaves him. So they're literally haunted by this whole, you know, not really doing the no man left behind. And, yeah, you know, it's only until they're like, fuck it, ah, we've got to do this, you know. And, I mean, they start the movie by shooting one of their guys in the face because he can't ride anymore. Right. Yeah, they shoot, they shoot the guy in the face. And he also leaves Crazy Lee to die in the bank, right? Right. Yeah. So, it's at best, their code is problematic. Sure. So, we've talked a little bit about loyalty and betrayal. I do think there is a lot of weird love, love lost imagery in here. I think this is a lot about... And, and, I mean, this is the idea of retirement, right? And, I guess, in betraying somebody, it's all about loss, um, and how you deal with loss. And obviously, these guys don't deal with loss very well. You know, the loss of an era, the loss of maybe their livelihood, the loss of all these other people, right? You've got Angel who loses his shit and shoots his ex-girlfriend in the chest, like right in front of the the general. You've got Deke who's forced. He's not allowed to let go his past. He's forced to uh, chase after it and hunt it down. Bishop forever has this limp because of this woman who he loves but she was married and the husband walks in and shoots them all up yeah i mean there's all you know you've got all these flashbacks to you know these lost love things even the sort of friendship between pike and deke i think is you could think you could categorize that as you know love lost and yeah some way. people ask each of those characters about their opposition you know deke or pike as the case may be and each of them says, oh, he's the best. Or, you know, you really have to be careful on them. And they have such a deep respect for each other. And I think it comes out of that love of that former partnership. And I mean, and, and that totally goes into this code of honor that they try to live by, you know, uh, that you if you leave somebody behind, you have to go, you have to go back and get them. You, you there, There's some sort of love bond there, I think, that, you know. I don't know. I think, I think instead of it saying, like, you're held to this love bond, I think... It's human nature to want to save the people you've affiliated yourself with, right? Those yeah. you've made into your community or society. But this desperado, gunslinger, mercenary, demystified West kind of puts it on its head and says, despite your natural inclination to go save people, most of the time you're going to let them die. Yeah. And I mean, these guys really don't, do they really love their friends that much if they can shoot them in the face? And let Angel get tortured. <laughs> yeah, they see him being dragged around and they're like, Hey, you want to go get some hookers? And they're like, sure, why not? Right, hookers sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that kind of also reinforces this idea with that final scene of all of the murder and death. That's all because they tried to make good on saving a friend. So that did not come out all right in any sense of the term. So it does not positively reinforce the idea that you should save those you leave behind. Right. Now, Matt, I have a question for you. Do you have a pivotal scene for us? So I do, and I thought long and hard about this, and I think the best thing to do is just play you two solid minutes of gunfire <laughs> in that <laughs> final scene because it really encapsulates the film. Yeah. And I have a lot more to say about this at our three questions, but I do, if you have not seen this film or know anything about it, this has... Violence, screaming, dying, explosions, gunfire. Pike Bishop yells bitch at one point. 
it's you all bitch. it's all really really what this film's about in terms of pushing the envelope you know this film almost got an x rating yeah i i believe that i mean it's ridiculous so like i said i want to say more about this in three questions uh but let's just listen to the pivotal scene because i think it really does show what this film's about all right so i'll try to turn this down a little bit so it doesn't seem like it's too loud for you but uh just in case have your finger on the dial okay here we go back so you survived you didn't get shot good good for you you must have been taking cover somewhere but this is the final scene in which they come back to try to save angel and they are just getting shot to pieces right each one of them dies in some some manner most of them not really good ways to die i think dutch actually takes several shots after using a woman as a shield shoots a couple guys and then like barrels into them as they shoot him up so it gets pretty bloody you know yeah it's pretty bad i mean this kind of encapsulates what peckinpah wanted the theme of his film to be really that he wanted to illustrate what it was really like to be gunned down Ugh, i know I and tell. so here you go yeah although i will say that uh, perhaps this is because we've had however many decades since this film came out of violent films the violence i i mean you know, 60 years ago, I can see it being very, very shocking. And in 2017, it's not very shocking. Really, it's more fatiguing to watch. Because, I mean, can, I can imagine if, the, you know, this at the time being, you know, there's a lot of shock value and a lot of like, holy shit, what are we seeing? But you know how many films we've seen with shootouts that are you know you've got when you've got things that are when you've got superheroes throwing people like through buildings yeah we're desensitized yeah i think there's a desensitization Mm -hmm. that's a word that's how you say that one (laughs) desensitization desensitization yeah you got it two in a row look at that it doesn't sound right anyway yeah we're definitely desensitized to this i think and because so it felt to me it's just it just becomes long it just becomes like a four-minute gunfight that I don't really want to watch. I mean, it's close to like 10 or 12. It's pretty long. Yeah, you're probably right. And it's 
it's not novel. It's really not that exciting for the most part. I did think that the train robbery was, was that, that was really the one scene that I thought ha- actually had some stakes. But the other ones, you you know, for the most part, it's like they're not really going to die. Pike's not going to die until the end. You know, Dutch is probably not going to die until the end. Yeah, I was surprised that with so many people in the bunch that you didn't see many of them dying in the middle half of the film where you'd kind of expect people to be dropping off. Mm-hmm. Well, Ethan, we are getting very close to our three questions. But first, I want to ask if you have a thesis to share with us. Oh, yeah. Mine's not terribly dissimilar from yours. I, I really think that this is a film that says that you can't hold on to a bygone era or the past because the times are going to change, so people have to change. And if you don't, you risk being left behind or becoming useless, which is essentially what the Wild Bunch is. I mean, they're these sort of relics of the past that don't really fit into the present moment and as such they all have to die yeah they're aging out of this profession they can't make it work in the united states anymore and so they go to mexico to be the gunman of this mexican general who's basically a warlord i mean yeah. yeah so you're right they have gone from seedy to like vile based on profession what they're being what they're doing what they're being asked to do and they just don't and they don't have a place anymore really they don't have a place and that's why that's why they die right you're absolutely right yeah the narrative you know contains them and extinguishes them yeah now i had to think long and hard about that to (laughs) to pull it out of this fucking (laughs) spectacular gunfight it's basically two hours of gunfighting more or less so ethan why don't we get to our three questions because i think there's a lot of ground to be gained in these things so first question do we care about this film I mean, I guess. I don't know. I'm a fan of Westerns. This was not my favorite Western. And I don't know that this is a story that hasn't been told in in other Westerns that I just enjoy watching better. Mm-hmm. So do I, Do we care about this movie? I mean, I'm going to give it a, a hard sure, So I guess. I, I'm going to say we do care about this film, but... I want to reserve my reasoning for this until we talk about what we owe and if it holds up. Okay. Because I think those are crucial in answering this question. So, yes, I care about this film. Why? See next question. So, to that end, <laughs> what do we owe this film? I'll go ahead tell, and start. Yeah, tell me, Matt. <laughs> we owe this film a serious reform to those post-production codes. You know how we're always talking about those codes that yeah. really limited a lot of stuff? And so we see them in 1920. And we're like, wait, why is this allowed to happen? Like, oh, it's pre-code. Or we'll see mm-hmm. stuff today, obviously post-code. But this film in particular actually reformed a great deal of them because there is so much violence, so much nudity, so much bloodshed for the time. And really, you see a lot more of a lot of stuff in this film than you would still in a 2017 film in a lot of ways, as strange as yeah. that sounds. I mean, there's like a 35-second shot of a lady pulling her nipple out of her shirt and then breastfeeding a baby i mean it's and it's just that and it has nothing to do with the story it's just to show us nipples and a baby breastfeeding well i think it's also texture for this mexican village but yeah i think you're right i think it's still part of that spectacular nature or and i think and i think at one point when they're titillation i think at one point when they're i think they're in a vat of wine dancing with the prostitutes and i'm pretty sure he says titties show me those titties like i think he what? said titums or teetums or something like that i had the subtitles <laughs> on and i was like what is that word 
Uh, but yeah, it was some weird sort of euphemistic. And they're in this vat of wine. So they're, they're Bacchanalian revelry in this huge vat of wine while these prostitutes take their clothes off. And, and in terms of codes, I mean, there is no way... Like, this is a film that... You know, there, there's that the, the cliche of no animals were harmed in the making of this. Their animals were harmed in the making of this film. Those scorpions definitely died. I'm the scorpions certain. are that got eaten by ants are definitely dead. Uh, there is no way that uh, horses didn't get injured. I mean, we have so many fucking slow motion shots of horses falling over, being pushed over, falling out of a bridge. I do know there are trick horses, and they use them for falling specifically for that. I don't know if they were using that film. But it does make me cringe every time I see a horse like falling over in a film. I'm like, is that horse okay? Like, I want that horse to be okay. I, I know it just is one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is this doesn't feel right. Like, because you know, today that shit would all be CG. Hey, one thing we missed. We just talked about the scorpions, and I just wanted to briefly mention it. Um, that opening shot of the scorpions being eaten alive by the fire ants, with the children obviously being the, you know, the arbiters of that that activity. Mm. I, yeah. I really took a thematic cue for this, right? And so you have oh, the yeah. scorpions, the wild bunch, these poisonous lot of, you know, badasses for the most part getting eaten alive by modernity, really, the masses of people. Yeah. Or even more specifically by, by just, you know, mass mass manufactured foot soldiers. Sure. Right, which is how how the world has changed, right? It's all soldiers that they're fighting, basically. Unskilled people with with very powerful weapons, right? We see this in both the Mexican army and the American army. Both have yeah. very, very, very young soldiers, inexperienced, seemingly untrained in a lot of situations, and they have the best firepower known to date. Well, in any film that begins with scorpions being eaten alive by ants and then burned, I mean, that sets the tone. I actually said that when, when I started watching the movie. I was like, well, this is going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. No. So... This really reshaped the codes, and it allowed us to really have modern film as it is today in terms of its spectacular nature. Now, we've talked oftentimes in this podcast how that spectacular nature isn't exactly the best thing, but I think yeah. you know it's a mixed bag. There are parts of it that are worthwhile. So a film like this existing, I think, is important, and that's why I care about it, because it did a lot of work to that end, and so I think that's important. I'll buy that. So do you want to move to our third question? Yeah, let's do it. So does this film hold up? Ethan, I want to hear your thoughts first. <sighs> well, it's too long. It's fatiguing to watch. The spectacle is not spectacular really anymore. However, it does have some really cool cinematography that feels much more modern than 1969. And that's about it that i can say for this film well i'll say that the plot <laughs> is probably too complex for the amount of shooting it wants to do we see you mentioned superhero movies earlier and i really kind of dislike superhero movies because they are so thin on plot yeah but i think you have to be in these cases if you want to really do the spectacular violence the way that these i guess modernity wants you to do it right or the, what, what audiences are kind of craving and people say oh it's a fantastic movie and so i go see it and they and they're like whoa, there's no plot here, and it's just CG men punching each other in the face. Like, I guess I'm not into that. So people are willing to put the story in the back seat in order to have the violence. But this film tries to do both, uh, maybe not super successfully, but I think it holds up 
because the violence I think was still fairly effective. And yeah. it certainly is one of the, you know, grandfathers of this kind of demystified West, if not the original one that sort of demystified the West. You know, you said earlier there are Westerns that do this better. Well, sure, but they wouldn't have been able to do it better without this film, right? In the in the timeline. Sure. Yeah. So that doesn't I really guess. answer does it hold up. I think the blood and the squib shots and anything like that still looks good. People die in ways that are, you know, somewhat convincing. So Yeah. I think I mentioned this earlier, right? That it's easier to have films in which there is gunfire and you have someone fall down and they can act dead as opposed to having like up close and personal combat. And so it's a little bit right. easier for ha- to have something like this hold up as opposed to Spartacus, right? I think I brought that up during yeah. Spartacus. So I think, yes, this holds up on that account. And I think, I, I you know, I think you're right. And it is really refreshing to see something that's all practical effects. There is, there's just simply no CGI. I don't even know if there are any miniatures in this thing. So that, yeah, in that way, I, you know, I can dig it. But is it something that I'm raring to watch again and share with my friends and family? Not really. Although I have a feeling that this film gets better each time you watch it. Because now that I know what is happening in this film, the beginning would make a lot more sense. And I know who these people are. So I think this is a film that maybe gets better with age or and by, when yeah, I you say certainly age, I need mean, more contact you know, yeah watching viewing right watching, number of times right. not actually age age but yeah i think you're right getting more context for those characters would be good if you want to see it a second time so i'd maybe see it a second time probably not a third although i would recommend this to people if they want to see you know a landmark western the progression of the western from these john wayne chivalric knights basically right to the anti-heroes or just the non-heroes and how we have protagonists that are not good people and we still you know are following them and are invested in some way in their story yeah i'm with you and i think that's the best way to describe these characters are non-heroes there's really not a hero you're not really gunning for anybody in this film you're just kind of watching the dominoes fall at least I wasn't. I wasn't like, oh, Pike, good for you. D, great. I was kind of like, let's just, can we end these guys? Get them, get them done with here. No, I don't really like anybody. Although I did kind of like Sykes. He was fun. I, I like Thornton, though, because Thornton, he seems the one to be the most like straight-laced of them, right? Like He's just trying to do what he has to do to be get, to get freedom now, you know? Yeah, I guess you're right. He's, he's, his weariness was probably more interesting than what we got from much of the other characters. Yeah. So. Sure. I'm, yeah, okay. (laughs) So I wanted to end this episode on one final note that the Mexican Revolution itself, you know, it's it's a war, right? People fired shots, people died. But this film fired more blanks than actual shots were fired in that entire. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So uh, that should just go to show the sort of magnitude of this film. And the ways in which it was really dedicated to that bloodshed, to that violence, to that spectacular violence we're always talking about. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That's crazy. And that's really all we have for this episode. I do (laughs) want to say that next week we're going to be on our Patreon watching one of Ethan's favorite films of all time. Ethan, are you prepared to reveal that movie yet? Well, you know, I was thinking that since we watched a Western for the regular thing we should watch some sort of western e film for the off week so 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm chewing on maybe Blazing Saddles because that would be fun after this. Okay. Thing, but I'm not sure yet. This is tentative, but there will probably be cowboys involved in some way. Tentative announcement: Cowboys will be there, and the week after when we return back here, wherever you get your podcast, it's going to be number seventy-eight, Modern Times. Modern Times. What the hell is that about? No idea. I <laughs> will find out shortly as I get the spoiler audio ready to go for this episode. But uh, it's nineteen thirty-six, I believe. So oh, get ready in time again. for an old one, Ethan. Well, you know what, though? There have been quite a few films that we've known absolutely nothing about that turned out to be pretty good. I think The Apartment's like the yeah. pinnacle of that. Yeah, I'm thinking you, Apartment. So maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised again. I mean, we enjoyed Yankee Doodle Dandy. It wasn't terrible. Sure, yeah. No, we enjoyed it, yeah. What else did we like that was old? The Marx Brothers film was, was better than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And we have another one to look forward to in the future. Yeah. Uh, Sunrise, though, that one sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That one was a very long parable, I think we can agree. Honestly, I barely remember what it was about. That's how little I There was like it. a 20-minute carnival scene. That's what was it was about. I, I don't even remember that. I don't remember it. I don't, oh, I do remember the carnival scene now. Never mind. Ugh, why did you make me remember that? <laughs> I don't know. It's my job, I guess. Well, Ethan, why don't we put this one to bed? I have been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight, as always. And there will be spoilers. Pew 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 There will be spoilers pew 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 There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much coming through loose on bench five attention foreman